everyone. I'm Jensine Bard, and welcome to Testimony, where truth is told, lives are changed, and hope is given. Revelation 12:11 tells us that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. A testimony of your story for His glory. Last week you heard the compelling story of one of America's brightest minds, his faith, love of country, family, and just where his passion for all three come from. His wildly popular radio broadcasts, American Minute, and televised His Faith in History are but two examples my next guest has endeavored to educate and communicate the biblical foundations our great country was founded upon. He is one of 15 children, a native of Missouri, and by all accounts destined to do and accomplish what we are going to talk about today. Ladies and gentlemen, would you welcome back to Testimony for part two of my exclusive best-selling author, nationally known speaker, and sought-after commentator, the amazing and articulate William J. Federer. Bill, welcome back to Testimony. Thank you. Bill, in reviewing your latest great reads, you've written several best-selling books. Uh, the two that I have we're going to talk about today are, quote, Three Secular Reasons Why America Should Be Under God and, quote, What Every American Needs to Know About the Quran, A History of Islam in the United States. Is there one driving resolution, Bill, that caused you to research and write these books, and just how did you compile all of this amazing historical information? Well, my wife and I were teaching some Bible classes, and I saw where some of the founders said things about God. There was a Haley's Bible handbook, and had little quotes about what Andrew Jackson and Abraham Lincoln said about the Bible. So I thought I'd go to the library and check out a book about what the founding fathers said about the Bible. Well, I couldn't find one, so I started to read through all the messages and papers of the presidents, every address by every past president. And I was blown away that you had President John Adams declaring a day of fasting and prayer uh, during a threatened war with France. President James Madison had a day of fasting and prayer when there was a, the British burned the White House. Uh, Zachary Taylor, the 12th president, having a day of fasting and prayer when there was a cholera epidemic and 150,000 Americans died. Of course, Lincoln had a day of fasting and prayer during the Civil War. Even Woodrow Wilson had a day of fasting and prayer during World War One. And Franklin Roosevelt passed out Gideon's New Testament and Book of Psalms to all the soldiers in World War II, writing the foreword. As commander-in-chief, I take pleasure in commending the reading of the Bible to all who serve in the armed forces. And then I decided to read through every colonial charter and found something interesting. Every colony was started by a different Christian denomination. Virginia was Anglican. Massachusetts was Puritan. Rhode Island was Baptist. New York was Dutch Reformed. Delaware and New Jersey were originally Swedish Lutheran. Maryland Catholic, mm. Pennsylvania Quaker, Connecticut New Hampshire Congregationalist. You get the picture. It was one denomination per colony. And if you didn't believe the way that your colony did, you fled. And it wasn't until the revolution started that they all had to work together against the King of England. After the revolution, they were afraid the new government would follow the blueprint that Europe had, where there was one denomination per country. England was Anglican, 
Scotland was Presbyterian. Holland was Dutch Reformed. Sweden was Lutheran, right? And Italy, Spain, France, Austria, Poland were Catholic. And, and they thought that the only ditch on the side of the road was our federal government choosing one Christian denomination and making it the national one. So they passed the First Amendment, saying that the federal government should make no law respecting the establishment of religion nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof. But religion was under states' jurisdiction. Sort of like a racetrack with 13 lanes, the different states could expand religious freedom at their own speeds. And some states had uh, blue laws in Connecticut, Massachusetts, where there's no business done on a Sunday. But other states didn't. Sort of like today, some states have uh, different laws that other ones don't have to abide by. Back then, it was the same way. Anyway, uh, then I read through every state constitution and every revision and amendment to every state constitution. And I found something interesting. Between 1776 and 1790, nine of the original 13 states required you to be a Protestant Christian to hold state office. Uh, South Carolina, 1778, their constitution says the Christian Protestant religion is hereby deemed the established religion of the state. North Carolina, no person who denies the being of God or the truth of the Protestant religion shall hold any office in this state. That was in effect till 1835 when they said no person who denies the being of God or the truth of the Christian religion shall hold office in the state. And that was in effect in North Carolina up until 1868 when they always said yeah, all you had to do to hold office was believe in God. And I'm reading these over and over again. Maryland, this original state constitution said that uh, every office holder had to make a declaration of belief in the Christian religion. In 1851, they changed it to say declaration of belief in the Christian religion, and if the party shall profess to be a Jew, the declaration shall be of a belief in a future state of rewards and punishments. Lo and behold, America was established a Christian nation on the state level, and the federal government's hands were tied by the state, saying you're not going to do anything, because they were jealously attached to their own Christian denomination. And I began to compile all these quotes, and it began to paint a picture. And then I read through uh, hundreds of Supreme Court cases and uh, uh, state cases, and then I would read through the journals of the Continental Congress and the journals of, uh, you know, the, the treaties. So we have the treaty that ended the revolution, starts off in the name of the most holy and undivided trinity. The treaty that ended the Mexican-American War starts off in the name of Almighty God. Uh, and so I put all this together in a book called America's God and Country Encyclopedia of Quotations. It's an 845-page reference book, and it came off, off the press in 1994, and it really hit a nerve, and it sold a half a million copies in 20 years. And so it opened up the door for me to be on radio and television. Uh, I was there at the Republican uh, State Convention in Fort Worth, Texas, and uh, by the end of the convention, we had sold $10,000 worth of the books, and everybody at the convention is, is um, uh, asking me to sign it. My hand's cramped afterwards. They invite me to speak all over Texas. Mm -hmm. I'm speaking with Dick Armey and these different congressmen, and Alan Keyes, and Judge Roy Moore, and Phyllis Schlafly, and Beverly LaHaye, and, and then I got to focus on the family, and then I'm with D. James Kennedy, and uh, I would do literally hundreds of radio interviews from morning till night, and uh, I would have to pitch myself, because I would say the same thing so many times, I would say, now, did I say that this interview was at the last interview. I remember being on a couch with the phone resting on my head, and it's one o'clock in the morning. I'm doing a late night radio show, and I'm pinching myself, saying, "Don't fall asleep. You're on live radio." <laughs> and um, anyway, we we uh, began to do this full time, and I ended up writing anywhere from eleven to I uh, wrote twenty books, and we moved back to St. Louis. Uh, the Bot Radio Network, Dick. Bot picks up it and he airs my spots, and then the VCY network airs the spots, and then I uh, have a, a television network uh, that 
Argentina Kunz. It's the TCT network, and uh, they're on direct TV all across the country, and they like what I say, and they put on a half-hour television program that's now broadcast, and we've done over 450 shows. And so it's opened up the door for me to do this. I'm In the middle of all that, I ran for Congress three times, almost one, but didn't, but that sort of uh, even uh, caused there to be a, an influence on the in the political level. Um, but the, uh, the one book that you had mentioned, Three Secular Reasons Why America Should Be Under God. Right. In doing lots of debates with atheists, I found them saying, well, I want America under God. And so I would ask them, do you, do you like having rights the government cannot take away? And their response is, yeah. I said, then those rights need to come to you from a power higher than the government. That's why the founders said all men are endowed by their creator. And John F. Kennedy, a Democrat president, in his inaugural address, said the rights of man come not from the generosity of the state, but from the hand of God. Well, guess what? If there is no God, the rights come from the generosity of the state. And what the state giveth, the state can take it away of. And what if you get uh, the Muslims in charge of the state? They decide uh, infidels don't have any rights. Uh, what if you get uh, communists in charge of the government, and they decide that you know Christians or dissenters don't have rights? Or um, you know, what if it's the caste system in India? And, uh, you know, you're in the lowest caste. You don't have any rights compared to a, to a person that's a Brahmin. And, and then I ask another question in the book, Three Secular Reasons Why America Should Be Under God. And I said, do you like being equal? And, of course, they say, well, yeah, I like well, I said, well, where did equality come from? As I mentioned, it didn't come from, from India uh, with that caste system. Um, it didn't come from North Korea where if you don't believe the way the government does, you're put in a labor camp or shot to death in the middle of a stadium, you know. Uh, didn't come from Islam, where women are not equal to men. Where did equality come from? Well, Democrat President Harry S. Truman said, we believe all men are created equal because we are created in the image of God. So Amen. If, there is, if there is no God, who decides who's, who's equal? Well, uh, the government. Well, then what if you get a Hitler in charge of the government? He decides Jews aren't equal. So we need a higher standard of equality than the government, and the founders said it was that we're all made in the image of the Creator. Well, Bill, anyway. I want to get to a specific question, and by the way, that's all phenomenal information. You explained it beautifully, and you answered a couple of my questions, and what you just shared right now, that's fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to William J. Federer, American Minute radio broadcast founder of AmeriSearch, Inc. You can learn more about Bill's ministry and outreach by going to AmericanMinute.com. Bill, of all the presidents that have presided, who, in your view, was the most effective biblically, politically, and personally, and who has been the worst? Well, I won't comment on the worst, uh, but because uh, it's too close to home. But um, <laughs> the best is uh, George Washington. He was unanimously elected twice, and he was not limited as to how many terms he could run. He only served twice that set of precedent for the, the following presidents. And he could have made himself king, uh, but he didn't. Um, he was unanimously elected as the um, commander of the army. At the one point, he said that Providence saw fit not to give him his own children so he would not be tempted to set up a dynasty. And he gave a warning in his farewell address. He said, usurpation, though in one instance is the instrument of good, now, usurpation is doing something you are not authorized to do. So usurpation, though in one instance, is the instrument of good. It is the customary weapon by which free governments are destroyed. So he said the greatest danger to the country is somebody at the top that says, I want to do something good, give me more power. And people say, well, he wants to do something good. Okay, here's the power. But he says what happens is, is you're transitioning away from the people ruling themselves, and you're transitioning back to a king. 
And so he predicts that's how the country was going to end. But it's interesting, uh, the uh, uh, concept that America had to face at its beginning with Islam. Now, uh, they had the Muslims begin to capture our American ships and stick our crews in the dungeons of Algiers, Tunis, and Tripoli. The day after Jefferson's inauguration, he got a demand for a quarter of a million dollars extortion payment to the Pasha of Tripoli. And um, Jefferson obviously gets fed up and sends in our Marines. That's where we get the Navy anthem from, or the Marine anthem from the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli. But lo and behold, um, Jefferson buys a Quran to figure out what's in this Quran that's making him want to attack us. And there's a 1,400-year track record that goes all the way back to Muhammad. And I wrote a book on this, what every American needs to know about the Quran, that Muhammad transitioned from being a religious leader to being a political leader to being a military leader, and he fought in 66 battles and raids, even used a catapult when he attacked a city called Al-Taif. And when they told him the catapult was killing women and children, his response was, they are among them. And the Muslims conquer Christian Syria, Christian Egypt, Christian North Africa, Christian Turkey, and then they conquer Spain. They go from Arabia to Paris in 100 years, and um, that's the, the problem we're facing today. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to William J. Federer, author, historian, and radio host of the wildly popular American Minute broadcast. You can learn more about Bill's amazing story and get his books by going to AmericanMinute.com. Mr. Federer, thank you for sharing your incredible gift of wisdom, insight, and all the research you have so painstakingly chronicled in your books and media broadcasts tribute to the true riches, greatness, and history of the United States of America. We thank you, and God bless you. Well, thank you. It's been an honor. Testimony is a global broadcast made possible by the generous contributions of our valued partners at Jensen Bard Ministries and you, our listening audience. Together, we are reaching souls for Christ, one testimony at a time. If you would like information on how you can support this broadcast with your tax-deductible gift, please visit us at jensenbard.com. That's one word, J-E-N-S-I-N-E-B-A-R-D.com. And join the conversation at our Facebook page, Testimony with Jensen Bard. Thank you for listening, and please join us again for Testimony. Testimony.